The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Cindy Yu. James Cleverly is in Beijing, and this is the first time a senior UK government figure has gone in five years. Cindy, he's already given a clip to the BBC in which he uh, defended his decision to go there. What do you think is the purpose of the trip? So I think that on the surface of it, the Foreign Office, for example, has said things like raising human rights issues, things like international security, you know, China's role in ending the conflict in Ukraine, global challenges that James Cleverley's talked about before, like climate change, all of these things that you need China's buy-in for. But I think there will be a couple of other reasons for James Cleverley to go as well. For one, um, Rishi Sunak is going to the G20 summit next week in India. Uh, Xi Jinping is not confirmed to go yet, but if he is going, the British side have suggested that they'd be keen to have a heads of state uh, meeting. That's not been confirmed yet. So if James Cleverley can pave the way for that, I think that would be a boon to the Sunak government. But also, as you know, Katie, Sunak has been trying to make a a big part of his appeal in this government. They're having an AI conference in Bletchley Park in November. If they can have the Chinese on board for that conference, then the UK can absolutely say we are a global convener of AI, even though in terms of the industry itself, you know, we're, we're not one of the massive players where we can convene on regulation and that kind of stuff. But if you don't have the Chinese around the table for that, then you can't really make that claim. But I do think cynically there are some other reasons as well. One of which is just the fact that everyone's been going to China this year. It would be odd for the UK not to be showing face in some ways. So Macron and Schultz of France and Germany have been, but also the Americans have sent three different delegates in the last few months. First, Anthony Blinken, the National Security Advisor, then Janet Yellen, then John Kerry. I personally think it would be odd for the British not to send any representatives at all, you know, something that this has been a controversial visit, but I think it would be odd for the for the British not to be in the room for that. But Katie, you know, they have re- received a lot of flack here in Westminster from the usual suspects, the China critics like Ian Duncan Smith and so on. Do you think that any of those kind of criticisms will land or does the government... Will they just price in that opposition? Well, first of all, I think it's interesting the point you make, which is how... Perhaps, as as tends to be the case, our foreign policy is coming as much from what other countries are doing and taking our lead in that sense. Um, you think about the response in Ukraine and so forth, as it is what Rishi Sunak has woken up one morning and decided he wants to do. I think when it comes to the Tory internal criticism, it's pretty predictable so mm-hmm. far. So you have Ian Duncan Smith, who's clearly not happy. He's been the, one of the lead figures for saying China should be seen as a threat. When actually... The China hawks are a bit more complicated than that. You know, not every China hawk thinks that you have to change how China is described on this. You have Alicia Kearns, obviously, who is the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, who has not condemned the trip, suggesting Mm. perhaps it's better to be in the room. But you can hear, you know, there's still some concern about what the purpose is and I think there is a sense of pressure to be to say you know what are you achieving from this and then there's obviously as ever anonymous briefings suggestions that some members of the cabinet are not particularly happy now of course in a Tory leadership contest lots of people like to amp up their criticism of China and play into that and Rishi Sunak did it a fair amount during the leadership contest I think what I find quite striking about this trip is of course 
you just think back to when James Cleverly was Foreign Secretary, mm. but under Liz Truss. Mm. So he has gone through his own conversion in terms of China. So when he defends, uh, so when he you know talks about this visit, and effectively is saying this will allow the UK to re-establish lines of communication. A lack of face-to-face engagement could lead to more opportunities for perhaps misinterpretations, mistrust, and errors. I mean, and also previously talked about you know we need to do more than sound bites. Some of that stuff does feel quite thinly veiled criticism of the trust government, which he, of course, served in and seemed quite happy to do so because during the Tory leadership contest, the first one of 2022, he was out there, you know, as one of Liz Truss's biggest champions, Mm -hmm. which I think, um, given she made China such a central plank of her pitch, can't have been, oh, I'm just looking the other way. Now, it shows you that I think he's a flexible character and perhaps James Cleverly always did think there should be this more slightly pragmatic approach on China, but ministers have to follow the orders of their bosses. Or is it now the case, that, you know, it's just as simple as that was what Liz Truss wanted, so he did it as foreign secretary and this is what Rishi Sunak wants. And therefore it might be less about James Cleverly's own idea given yeah. he's gone both ways on it. And I think with Rishi Sunak... I think because he is someone who obviously spent a longer period as chancellor than he has been prime minister, I think that to understand how he thinks, he clearly is very focused on the economy. Mm. And you think about all the arguments, which you often hear are the economic ones, which is that you have to, you know, China is too big to ignore. Um, And I think that's probably contributing to where the UK government is now at. But figures in number 10 will always say, you know, we are still having battles with China. We're still standing up to China on various issues, but we're doing it through actions. Yeah. If you look at some of the decisions we've made in the past, as opposed to, uh, you know, just rhetoric or something that's going to get you a page one to say, you know, we're really showing them. But I, I wonder, Cindy, of course, listeners should listen to Chinese Whispers podcast. But <laughs> what do you think, I suppose, are the subtleties in terms of the difference between the Sunak approach to China mm. and the trust one? Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's a quite a lot of differences. Um, I mean, Truss, for one, in, during the leadership contest, said that she would declare genocide happening in Xinjiang. That is obviously one of the biggest sticking points between the UK and China's relation, and indeed China's relationship with the rest of the liberal world since five years ago when Jeremy Hunt visited China, where he was still talking about the golden era. You know, that phrase has totally been retired out of usage now. And Xinjiang is one of the reasons why. So Liz Truss said that she would declare genocide, something that would most certainly China up and Rishi Sunak has never made it such a claim so he's never been as big of a China hawk although you know Katie when you were talking about people having changes of mind it's not just James Cleverly it's Rishi Sunak too because during the Tory leadership he had these five pledges on China one of which was to close all Confucius institutes in the UK that's not happening anymore, according to the government. And it's interesting that it's something that Chinese media has picked up on as well. So I was reading a news report this morning, and the Chinese media, this was a report on Caixin, which is a relatively more liberal outlet, was saying that actually Sunak has a much more pragmatic, subtle and nuanced approach to China compared to Liz Truss um, and pointed to not shutting the Confucius Institutes and is, is an example of that. So I think there's a lot of differences. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Katie, when you say that Sunak is much more about economics, much less about foreign policy. It doesn't seem like something that he's personally really cares about, although we do know people around him who do care hugely about geopolitics, global geopolitics. But yes, for him himself, I don't think it is something that he's deeply caring about. And just one other thing as well, I was just having a look at Chinese media. It's interesting that throughout the home pages of all your usual outlets, People's Daily, Global Times, Xinhua uh, and Caixin, as I've mentioned, 
The Cleverly Visit doesn't fe- feature on the homepage anywhere. And actually on Chinese social media, on Weibo, it's not any of the top 60 trending topics at all. So it's Is that not a good or a bad thing? <laughs> I wonder, well, but considering that I did see it on the homepage of Taising this morning, and but it's, it's number not there one anymore. on the BBC website. Exactly. <laughs> well, I wondered. We're into it. <laughs> I wondered if the newspaper certainly had got some kind of directive to say, don't report it on it too much until we see some results from this visit. I don't know for sure, but I did see it on Taising this morning and it's no longer there on the homepage anywhere. So that does feel to me less like it's been pushed down and more like a more of an instructive thing. But it does seem like the Chinese people are not talking about it either. I mean, after all, he's a foreign minister visiting China, which happens quite a lot for Chinese. And perhaps if Rishi Sunak, when he goes to G20, Xi Jinping is there and meets, then that will be something that is, is more noted. Yeah. And also foreign office sources have said to me over the months of this trip being planned is that the Chinese haven't confirmed a date for a long time. And so it just sounds like the Chinese are basically subtly hinting the UK is not on our priorities list. We care more about the US, France, Germany, all these other countries, Brazil as well, even Spain. Spain's gone before the UK. So, uh, yeah, the Brits, you've got to behave better. Otherwise, we're not going to give you any of these goodies. But that's a message that's very hard to swallow here in London. Though also, I think in terms of the UK perspective, I think it would be hard for Rishi Sunak to go too early on in his premiership yeah. uh, or even to send one of his ministers because we're now at a point where things, I think, are a bit calmer in the Tory party. So they are in a place where you, you can take a few more risks. Now, obviously, there's a small backlash going on right now. But I also think going into an election year, you know, there's always, you know, are there votes in foreign policy? I mean, when foreign policy goes very wrong, yeah. um, there can be votes in it, but not not the way you um, governments perhaps would like. Yeah. But therefore, you know, is it the case that perhaps there'll be a little bit less Tory attention on things like the China policy as people begin to worry more about domestic priorities as, you know, their priority that's going into an election? Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for joining. Um, and do listen to Cindy's podcast if you're not already subscribed, which everyone should be. Thanks, Katie.